Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 13. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry, whether it's informally or as a vocation. It's a gathering place for believers who want to learn from God's Word about how to minister more effectively. In Season 3, we're moving through 2 Corinthians, the book about the ministry. And today's thread covers chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, and the topic of setting spiritual ambitions. You know, ambition's a really important thing. And this is a generation that coined the term bucket list, you know, where you make a list of all these things that you just have to achieve before you die. And we've learned a lot uh, in industry and business. We've learned about the power of goal setting and what happens in your life. When you funnel all your human energy and you funnel your uh, your time, you know, like you, re- you restrain your time and your effort and your money and your focus and you push it all in one direction. And it really is amazing what will happen to your life. And if you if that is not your practice, I really encourage you to uh, stop just diffusing your energy and start focusing your energy on achieving things that after prayer and, and thinking about your calling, you know, f- focus on the things that you know would actually make your life have more impact and uh, move those things ahead. So it, it's really important. And there's a lot. I mean, there's tons of books and courses and, you know, there's it's not hard to learn about this, uh, whether it's to help you in your your career side or just as much work has been done on the, the power of ambition in your personal life management um, and in your financial management. But here's the point of this lesson. Have you set equally ambitious goals for yourself spiritually? Do you have spiritual ambition? A lot of times, you know, we, we reserve ambition just for things about making this much money by this age or getting this position or owning my own house or, you know, whatever, or getting married by a certain date. Uh, and we, we're ambitious about that. You know, I want to go around the world by the time, you know, uh, there's a guy's name Goddard that set those goals when he was just a 14-year-old, and they were massive goals. And he went on and did almost all of them. They were like crazy goals, some of them. Um, you can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. So the point is, have you set spiritual goals? Do you have ambition in your life? I mean, ambition that you put your focus behind. You're going to put money behind it and energy and effort, and you're going to say no to other things because you want this thing to happen. You're ambitious. Have you done that about spiritual things as well as things concerning this world? That's what this lesson is about, uh, helping us set proper goals of spiritual ambition. So let's dive right in. Once again, the passage opens with the same word, therefore. You know, new thought blocks in Paul's writings, and we're already seeing it happen here in 2 Corinthians, uh, often begin with this word. You could pretty much just go through 2 Corinthians and look for uh, you know, everywhere the word therefore is and, and start a new study from that point. 
And we said earlier, you know, always find out what the therefore is there for. So let's, let's check this one out. So as we're getting ready to talk about ambition, Paul says, therefore, and so as we look upward in the last chapter, he's saying, because the outward man is perishing and because the inward man is being renewed day by day and because though my day of death is approaching, I will pass through it like a caterpillar and I'll emerge as me 3.0 in a whole new life, a whole new world and a new experience for me. I'll never, you know, I'll never stop being conscious. I'll always be here. I'll always be alive. But my body, uh, this body is given to me for ministry in this world. So as I approach that day, because life is precious, but it is passing swiftly, my life in this body, and because whatever I intend to do in this life, I need to do it now. Therefore, we, read the verse, make it our ambition. We make it our ambition to be well-pleasing to him. If my life is going to spin by and if I know I am running out of time in this version of my body, then one of my big ambitions, according to Paul, is to be not just pleasing to God, but well-pleasing. I want to make it my ambition to be well-pleasing to God. Now, uh, let's take a little side road on this topic. It is through Paul's writings that we get our fullest doctrine of substitutionary atonement. And actually, in this, in this book, he's about to take us to a beautiful, um, a, a beautiful talk about this, where Christ became man that he might enter into us and we might enter into him and he can become the wicked, sinful rebel against God and die and be punished for that because that's really us. And we can change places and we can become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ and we can become sons and daughters of God and we can become what Christ is. And he's our substitute, and we exchange places with him on the cross. And that is just such a powerful, beautiful teaching. And it's the opposite of legalism, and it's the opposite of works righteousness. And it acknowledges that if I have to save myself by my own efforts, then I am damned because I have... I have evil in me in layers, and I take off the top layer and... And I break, you know, through certain things that are holding me back and I think I'm fine. And then the next thing I know, I've, I've uncovered a whole other layer of evil that goes so down deep inside of me. I cannot save myself. So, you know, Paul is he's not only aware of it, he celebrates this teaching like crazy. It's one of his main things that he brings out. So he's not talking about that. He's not talking about. Um, earning my salvation by my good works. You know, the only true righteousness we'll ever know will come through the blood of Jesus. And it is the only plea we can make on our day of judgment. You know, and that's, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about not damnation, heaven and hell. He's talking about the use of our own free will. 
you know, we have been given free will. Uh, I doubt anything else in creation has free will. There is a level of determinism. Dogs are horrible fornicators, but God doesn't hold it against them because they're animals. And their nature just says, have sex with any any female that's in heat. Do your best, you know. And most of the other animals, they live at the same level. But we're not just animals. You know, we're not just a higher form of animal. We are made in the image of God. And part of that image is that we've been handed the power of self-determination. And just as God says, my name is I am. I am what I am. You know, I do what I want. I become who I want to be. He gives that to us because he makes us in his image and we reflect him. And we can be righteous people and we can be wicked people. And I can take my hand and I can stroke my wife's hair and I can hold and cuddle her or I can take my hand and I can slap her in the face. It's my hand. I have complete control over my hand. I can do what I want. And that's why we're judged for our behavior. We have controls over what we become and over what we do. I can marshal my use of time. I can anticipate, unlike the animals, I can anticipate a future. I can create a future in my mind and I can put the energies of my life behind this future. And most of the time I can cause that future to become a reality. I have free will. And Paul is talking about free will, what I do with my free will. Paul says, I want God to watch me use my free will. I want him to watch my daily relational choices. I want, to, I want him to watch my restraint from the appeal of sin. And I want God to feel pleasure at the ambition that I have to be well-pleasing to him. I want him to watch me use what he gave me for his glory and for his honor and to build people up. I want him not to just be pleased with me, but I want to be well-pleasing to him. I just think that's an ambition we should have, you know, because I can choose the things that I do in my life and I can choose how I treat people. I can choose my tone of voice. I can choose the way my I, the way I respond to people, I can choose what I do with money. I can choose how uh, transparent I am in my life. I choose all these things. And God is watching my choices. And Paul says, I've made it my ambition to be well-pleasing to him. And if you're going to be well-pleasing to God, it's going to take some energy and effort. And you're going to have to set some policies. Now, I had a friend once who had, um, uh, he was a new friend. And he was at my house and and. I mentioned something about the internet and that he could, you know, he could use our computer or whatever. And he said, I don't use computers. And I said, oh, why? And he said, I have a pornography problem. I don't allow myself to get near a computer. And I was, you know, I felt honored that he would open his heart and tell me the truth about his life. But I, I also felt like he was pretty awesome because he had an ambition to live with holiness. And he had an ambition that he would do whatever it took to live with holiness in his life, that he was not going to live beneath his calling as a child of God. Our ambition, our spiritual ambition. Verse 10, Paul says, For we must 
all appear. A date has been scheduled for you and for me to give full account of the way we used our life. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. We've been talking about our life in the body, in this version of our body. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Good things and wrong things. Here's the point of this. We do not get a pass for all of our behavior. There's a, you know, there's a great misunderstanding of our teaching about grace. And I'm not going to go back over everything I just said about the only way that we are saved. But the scripture is clear from Jesus and Paul and others. We do not get a pass for all of our behavior. The judgment is not just a formality like a college commencement, you know, where everyone's going to get the same degree and we just all dress up and, you know, we make over this, but there's no accountability. And, you know, a commencement would be an entirely different thing if you stood before that podium and they began to say, here's your 360 review. Here's what your friends have said about your life here. Here is the videotape of every moment of your performance here at college. Here is how you have talked to people in the hall. Here is how you've done relationally while you're here. Here's what your professors say about you. You know, it would be an entirely different commencement. All. Paul doesn't say some of us are lost people. He says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must answer to God for how we have lived our life. Now, again, Christ's blood is the only way we become rightly related to God. It's the only way we become adopted into his family. But there is still a very real accounting before God for our life. We will be judged before God, and we will be judged in the sight of all who have ever gone before us and serve God faithfully, and we will be judged in the sight of the heavenly host, who have worked so hard to keep us alive and who've done God's work of causing coincidences and creating opportunities for us. And many in that day, Jesus tells us, who were first, they were prominent, they were leaders, they were honored, they were wealthy, they were empowered, and they will be demoted to last in the kingdom. And many who were last in this life will be made first In that life, faithful servants will be rewarded. Slackers will be rebuked. Those who hardened their hearts against God will be cast away from his presence forever. The judgment is the most sobering thought I know. And we're not doing anybody a favor by removing talk about the real judgment, the real judgment that we are going to face At the end of our life, it's not okay as a believer that we keep doing all these things and say, oh, well, well, I've got the blood of Jesus covering me up. There is an accounting before God for what we do. And Paul says, verse 11, I know the terror of the Lord, knowing the terror of the Lord. Can you imagine that moment? And you find yourself there stripped naked. You know, as we stand naked before God, naked before all the 
people have ever gone before us, naked before the angels, and it's just us. We have no, uh, you know, the outward dressings that we put on here that gives us a title and it gives us our beauty. And we're stripped down. And God says, now, let's talk about your life. Paul says, I know the terror of the Lord. Look at the Old Testament. God sets foot on a mountain and bursts into flame. People who actually see the Lord, even see an angel in Scripture, they usually hit the ground and they are trembling and quaking in fear. And these are God's people. These are people who have an awareness of the holy. And yet when they encounter God in his glory or even an angel in their glory, they are so their knees go weak and they fall down. And Paul says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade people. You know, we are in the ministry of persuasion. Manipulation is what I do to you. I do that to you for my benefit. But persuasion is what I do for you, and I do that for your benefit. See the difference? I'm manipulating you for my benefit, or I am persuading you for your benefit. And we're talking about the ministry. The impact of one life on another. And we're going to talk more about this later. But the ministry, you know, in a nutshell, is a work of persuasion. And Paul says, looking at that day, which is coming, it's coming on me and it's coming on everyone I see as I walk through the town and everyone that I'm related to and everyone who's my friend, we will all stand before God. And I know the terror of that moment. So Paul says, we persuade. You know, we understand that the ministry is a work of persuasion. So we, we're going to talk about this later, actually in our next lesson. But the ministry is a work of persuasion, essentially. We are leaning on people to push them away from darkness and away from personal destruction and to push them toward those actions that will take them in a better direction. Uh, illustration might be that you've got this friend and after any little exertion, you know, they're out of breath and they start, they start holding their chest. But they just won't go to the doctor. And everybody's tried to get them to go to the doctor and they just won't do it. And so you try first, you know, positive uh, persuasion. You say, you know, think of how much it will relieve you. Let's go to the doctor. Think of how much it will relieve you to know that it's not a heart attack. It's just angina or indigestion or asthma, you know, could just be something else. And, you know, won't you feel great if once you know that that's all handled? And if that doesn't work, then you try negative persuasion. You say, hey, do you want to walk your daughter down the aisle in five years or not? Because you might not even be here. Imagine her having to go to that altar and the tears of that day of what should be a happy day but her dad is not there, and he's not there because if you don't deal with this, my friend, you might not even be there when she goes down the aisle. You know, I'm trying that one. That's negative persuasion. It's not a bad idea. I mean, you can't just be positive. If positive works, great. But if it doesn't work, let's try negative because for some reason negative is even more effective as a persuasion device. And so you tried the positive, think of how good it'll be, you know, uh, and the negative. Don't you want to avoid this pain, this terrible thing? And then thirdly, you just get forceful. All right, that's it. Get your butt in my car. We are going to the emergency room right now. And you just push them out the door into your car and you drive off. You know, if you love them, you won't hesitate to escalate 
your persuasion to whatever level you have to so that they'll pay attention. Again, we're not manipulating. This is for their benefit. They have a problem they are not dealing with. And their inaction has eternal consequences. And we're not willing because we love them. We're not willing to just let them go. We're going to lean on them and use whatever persuasion we have to to make them deal. I can't deal with the problem. But I have to make them deal with the problem because they just keep ignoring it. So we are here to fuel their actions and fuel those actions by persuasion. And that's the ministry. So at the end, we're in verse 11 now. And Paul says, but we are well known to God. And I also trust we're well known in your consciences. Uh, it's sort of like in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty one, where Paul wrote, if we would just judge ourselves, we would not be judged by the Lord. You know, we don't have to wait for our day of judgment uh, we don't have to wait for our day of judgment to reveal the truth about our lives. If we'll just listen to our own conscience, it will judge us right now. When I do evil now, my conscience tells me that I did wrong. And I need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. If my conscience is defective, the Holy Spirit is not. And he will tell me, uh-uh, you shouldn't be doing that. Or you should be doing more of this. He will push me. He will guide me. He will guide me to line my life up with the life of Jesus. So if I'll just listen to my conscience and I'll listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to go ahead and go through my day of judgment every single day. I will know what is evil and I can avoid doing that. I can have my ambition to avoid doing evil. And when I do fail, I can repent openly to God and to man because sometimes our failures involve other people. Get, be upfront about it. Humble yourself. Go apologize to them. Pay back. Make restitution. Whatever you have to do. If you fail, deal with it. Then move on. Because repentance is a lifestyle. It's not supposed to be the thing you do the one time when you come to Jesus and then you never have to do it again. Uh, it's the way a Christian lives their life. It's the ongoing life of standing in my own judgment right now. So I don't have to be judged in the future. Uh, I've shared before, but, you know, one of my biggest moments in my childhood was when my very important dad, who was uh, always a leader and always upwardly mobile, and he was the head of his uh, nationwide accounting firm. And I remember the day when my very important dad uh, humbled himself to my little brother's baseball coach because he was in little leagues and it was all star and. My dad took off and we drove and it was, a, it was a big deal and it was traffic and it was all this to go to this all-star competition. And then the coach didn't even play my brother the whole game, although he was an all-star. And, you know, the coach was there to win and he played the guys mainly from his team because he knew them. But that was his right as the coach of the all-stars. And my dad gave him a few words at the end of the game. They weren't terrible, but they were sharp. And... um then we got to this restaurant, and, and Dad's you know head is down, and he keeps, I can see, he's processing. And then all of a sudden, he gets up, and he walks over, and he finds a payphone, and he finds that man's number, and he tracks him down, and he doesn't stop until he's called him and apologized for what he said, and everything's made right. And my mom told me what he was doing when he got up from the table. My dad never said a word about it. 
And I just thought, wow, I respect him so much for that because everybody blows it. It's just what do you do when you blow it? The judgment. The judgment is coming, but the judgment is here right now, and we can go ahead and deal with all this stuff, and then it won't be there on the day of judgment because it was dealt with now. That's for unresolved issues. You know, Paul is not concerned about his coming judgment. He has an ambition to be pleasing to God right now and tomorrow and the next day. He's not concerned. Paul says, yeah, we're well known to God. You know, God knows me. I know God. I'm walking with him now. So he's not horrified at this thought of the coming judgment, but he's also not concerned because he has no secret side. You know, Paul says, and I trust you know us too. You know, we're well known to God and we're well known to you. And I trust that your conscience can judge that we are God's people. You know, Paul is living his life openly. If you see him do something and you don't like it, say something to him about it. Because the devil does his work in secret places. So Paul is trying to keep his life in the open. And, you know, that's why the Internet is such a trap, because we think we're hidden. And there's this myth of, um, you know, obscurity and no one can see what you're doing tick, 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 as you visit these places. But actually, uh, every search you've ever made is recorded. And the IP address of your computer, every page you've ever clicked, and your camera and microphone are actually on all the time. Uh, whether it's a cell phone or whether it's a laptop, there are ways those things can just be turned on. They're recording and now we're starting to find out just how much data is being collected 24 hours a day about us. The records are there even among humans. And God, of course, has perfect judgment and perfect records. He knows our motives, not just what we've done. So Paul says, you know the real me, and I hope you judge me. And I love what he does here. He doesn't really say me. He says, you know the real us, and I hope you judge us. He is here representing his whole team. His, his team was this beautiful circle of faith. And he has 100% confidence that everything he says about his own life is also true about their lives as true followers of Jesus. So spiritual ambition. Let's hold a high ambition for ourselves and organize the time, organize our energy, organize our actions, set policies do whatever we have to do, spend money, whatever it is we have to do. Let's make spiritual ambition a part of our life planning and a part of how we live our life. Well, that's all for now. If you're enjoying Thread, please share the podcast with your friends. Just use the buttons in the player on your screen and check out the free course, Finding the Will of God for Your Life. And we're offering it right now at MediaLightOnline.com. MediaLightOnline.com. This week, expect God to use you. You're the light of the world. So shine on.